0: everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Stage Directions. I'm Ashley Griffin, your theatrical Hermione Granger. And today we have a wonderful guest here with us, Evan J. Newman. He was on Broadway as a child in lots of wonderful things, but now he is a phenomenal composer and musical director. He's worked on the national tours of the Broadway productions of American Idiot and Cinderella and Mamma Mia. And he and I are collaborators um, working on a couple new musicals. So I'm really excited to have Evan here with us to talk about his experiences in the theater and about collaboration and how to develop a musical. So thanks so much for tuning in. So, hello, Evan. Oh,
1: hi.
0: <laughs> Sorry, we've been chatting for a little while before, so that was a very fake beginning to our conversation. Um, that was very believable. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on this podcast today. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, can you, I've given a little bit about you in the intro that I'm recording after we record this part. Um,
1: Trippy.
0: Yeah. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about you and your career in history?
1: Yeah, it's been sort of weird. Um, I started off as a child actor back more decades than I'd like to say. Yeah, but
0: a child Um, actor on Broadway.
1: That is true. That is true. So uh, I did Les Mis. I did uh, Christmas Carol over at Madison Square Garden. Paul Simon's show The Cape Man. A couple other things. Um, And then I quit because I was like, oh, okay, I did that. Um, And now I want to try doing other things and try being, quote, unquote, a normal kid. That didn't... I realized I'm not a normal person and that didn't work out very well. Are any of Um, us
0: in the theater normal people?
1: I plead the fifth. Um... (laughs)
0: So after you were a child actor, what did you do?
1: Uh, I went to school. I went to this uh, program for international studies. I thought maybe I'd be a politician or a lawyer. Um... But I went to college for acting. Uh, but at NYU, right? At NYU, yes. So Over you were a 29.
0: politics major before? Oh, no, no. Sorry,
1: oh. that was in high school. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, there was this program that they called it a specialized learning center, <laughs> um, which, as when I say it as an adult, feels really <laughs> pretentious. The title
0: of your next musical. Yes.
1: <laughs> specialized <laughs> learning center. Uh, that would be an interesting show. Oh. No, it wouldn't.
0: I love doing that like with Chinese fortune cookies. Um, just put my next musical at the end of any random Phrase or word,
1: especially because they're not fortunes anymore, right? They're just like random phrases. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I wasn't getting a lot of work as an actor right at school. I'm a this is a this is a podcast, I'm very short. Uh, but you're I not. You're horse.
0: not. You're not very short.
1: Yeah, there weren't really roles for people my. You're not my like. Height, you're not really, like six
0: two. No, I'm no,
1: certainly not six two. Um, nor am I six one. But or six at all.
0: As a fellow child actor, that's something that helped you when you were a kid because you oh. were older and looked younger. So for sure. Yeah, I for was sure. the opposite. I was younger and very tall.
1: Well, I think it'll start to work for me as an adult. I keep saying I'm going to Kevin Bacon my career and I play high school until I'm 50. Yeah. But um. But yeah, so when I was more getting work getting as an actor, I started working as a music director. So I toured with uh, American Idiot and Mamma Mia, Cinderella. Uh, and most recently, I was uh, Frankie Valli and Jersey Boys for Norwegian.
0: Nice. Yeah. And but you write, too.
1: I do. Yeah, I write with you. You do. Oh. How did
0: you start writing musicals?
1: I don't know. Um, in high school, actually, uh-huh. uh, my first musical was for a presentation on Leon Trotsky. Um, yeah. So we for were, those
0: listening who have no idea who that is, uh, who is that?
1: He was one of the leaders of the communist party with uh, in uh, Soviet Russia. Yeah. So the sequel to Natasha Pierre. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um and. He was famously assassinated uh, with an ice pick. Oh! So we wrote a musical called Trotsky Lives. Oh, no. It was for some presentation. I honestly don't remember. It was ridiculous. I think
0: you need to um, put the concept album out on iTunes or something. i see if I can dig it
1: up. I'm sure we videotaped it for posterity. I would love to see that. Uh, It's gotta exist, and I'm sure it was awful. Yeah, but uh, that was my first musical, mm-hmm. uh, and you were like, "I've got to keep doing this." <laughs> I've got to keep doing this. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I always found that I can't really write a book. I mm. was never confident in that. Um, I like taking other people's uh, concepts and musicalizing them, or, or working in a oh buzzword collaboration. Ooh, um,
0: Evans yeah. listened to one of my previous podcasts.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's sort of been my deal. I, I think. Um, before You, the, the, yeah, Before You was mm-hmm. Oregon Trail, right? Yeah. I, I tried, yeah. Uh, with a very talented writer, Lauren Ford, we tried writing an Oregon Trail, the game. The Which musical. was really funny. Well, I came you. to see
0: the, the development of that.
1: Yeah, we, we had fun with it. Um, there was just a lot of competition for the property and we decided <laughs> to shelve it. Uh, but we got to the point where I was talking with the rights holder mm-hmm. for a while to see if we could make something happen. Uh, but then we learned about all of our competition right. and decided to bow out. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, after that, not, not long after that, I think we started yeah. working on Lyra. Lyra. Yeah.
0: Which oh. you audition to write.
1: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a cool story. We'll,
0: we'll circle back to that. Cause we're going to talk a little bit about the development of new musicals. Cause a lot of you out there have been asking about that, but first, so what has the transition been like between being on stage and then being a musical director on these big Broadway tours?
1: You know, American Idiot was actually a really good one for me to start with um, because it was a show that I couldn't do. Mm. So there was none of that fear that... Oh, you
0: mean you couldn't do as an actor? Yeah.
1: yeah. So <laughs> I thought was... you meant
0: you couldn't do as a musical director, and I'm like, then how did Why they hire you, you? They had
1: no other options. I'm <laughs> not sure, they had plenty of options, uh, I think. No, I, I couldn't be an actor in it. One, I don't play guitar, and all mm-hmm. of the men in that show have to play guitar. Um, but... Because of that, there was no danger of being jealous or resentful that I was behind the keyboard instead of in front of it, and so right. it was a great. I could just dive into my work. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of fun. That also had the benefit of being an onstage band. Yeah, and I realized there's a lot about being a musician in this industry that's really, really a good time. Mm-hmm. Um, none the least of which is that you never have to worry about if you're going to lose your voice.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: It's it's, it's the little perks, you know? <laughs> but um. But pit culture is really cool. I love playing with bands. Um, so the transition was actually a lot easier than I anticipated, especially because before that, I had been doing data entry for four years. Oh, wow. So I was still making music and making theater, and I wasn't behind a computer uh, in a cubicle anymore. Mm-hmm. Not to say there's anything against that. It's just not for right. Me. Yeah. Um, and
0: then you did Cinderella and Mamma Mia, which are very different stylistically.
1: Yeah. Uh, so I was the associate music director on both of those. Um... Uh, and I learned a lot and grew a lot as a mm-hmm. musician. Cinderella was a, a major hurdle for me because we were also doing the version with David Chase's arrangement, mm-hmm. and uh, he has very big hands, and <laughs> I have normal size.
0: Hey, they're still a lot bigger than my hands.
1: Yeah, they're they're like they're they're still piano player hands. Yeah. but not David Chase hands. Um, and also I had been living in the rock world of the American mm-hmm. Idiot and the pop rock world, if you want to call... Um, or disco world, or whatever you want to call ABBA mm-hmm. with Mamma Mia. Um, so it was very different, but I grew so much of it, uh, uh, as a musician, uh, especially under the supervision of Greg Rasson, who was our music uh, mm-hmm. supervisor, Greg Anthony Rasson, uh, who's one of the most brilliant players I've ever, nice. ever worked with. A really smart musician, and uh, he taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. So it, it really kind of framed the way that I look at music between all those different shows and how they function within the theatrical realm. Mm-hmm.
0: So now being, you know, sort of a mainstay musical director and composer, what advice would you give to performers when they're coming into audition for a big thing like a Cinderella national tour or something?
1: Well, the big thing is it's, it sounds cliche, but sing what you love because mm-hmm. we can tell. You can tell <laughs> behind the table if the person is like, I think this is the right song and the right sound that you're looking for. Maybe you you can tell there's, there's something that happens both in the body and then because of that in the voice. Um, and of course we can just see it on your face and you're like, I don't like this song. Um, that's number one. Obviously it does need to be stylistically appropriate. You know, please don't sing a rock song for Cinderella. I Mm. can't stress that enough. Uh, and then, you know, the, this, the usual, have your sheet music in the right key, have it marked up, treat your accompanist like a human being who's oh, yeah. doing you a favor. Remember, he's working for the people behind the table, not for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so any interaction that you have with the accompanist will get back to the people behind the table. We talk to them all the time. And usually, especially from a music director perspective, I've played in a pit with that person. So, yeah. like, we have a history. We're going yeah. to chat it all up, maybe uh, over drinks later. <laughs> you know. Yep. That's the best
0: advice that I could give. Um, so getting back to the buzzword collaboration, <laughs> um, we were talking about my um, podcast about that. and you've we obviously, I think, have a very successful collaboration. Um, we've both collaborated with other people um, as writers and in different capacities, like you know working with actors or working with directors or whatnot. So what's your feeling about collaboration and successful versus not successful collaborations?
1: I think the most important thing is just a mutual respect between collaborators. In my experience, if that doesn't exist, there is no collaboration. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's going to immediately be contentious. And there's going to be this feeling in the air that one person feels their ideas are better. Mm -hmm. And the other writing partner or partner's ideas... um, have no merit and don't really need to be thought about or looked at or tried and that is no way to move forward in writing. Yeah. Um and I've experienced both. I've experienced a room where one collaborator felt that they were the only person who had an opinion of merit. Mm-hmm. Um or even even worse that their friends who saw the reading we're the only ones whose criticisms or praises mattered and right. everybody else didn't matter. Yeah. Um, and that's a very, very strong recipe for disaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas if you have the kind of relationship where somebody can throw out an idea and you can go, you know what? I don't agree with that idea, but let's try it. Right. I don't see how that's going to work, but let's try it. Yeah. And if it works, great. If it doesn't, okay, no harm, no foul.
0: Right. Um, I had a really great question I was about to ask, and I was so absorbed with listening to you. I don't remember what it was. Um, I guess something that I would ask your thoughts on are, or is collaboration isn't something that's really taught. And even in, you know, writing, I guess we're talking right now more about co-writers. Um, but even in writing programs, you're kind of oftentimes thrown with somebody and it's like write a song or write a show or something. Um, what would your suggestions be for maybe a young writer who's starting out who hasn't doesn't really have a lot of collaborative experience on how to get good at those things and how to get good at working with different types of people or
1: well I think that's exactly it try working with different types of people you'll, you'll start to learn through trial and error through experience who you gel with and who you don't and you know there, there's there's nothing saying that if someone isn't the writing partner for you that they're not a good writer right it's just that the personalities don't mix as Mm -hmm. long as you approach that with respect for the person you can still walk away and say you know what we don't work in the same way Mm -hmm. but i respect you as an artist and then that's fine there's nothing wrong with that yeah um it's always about i think keeping your own ego in check i think that is the key because we all think our ideas are fantastic (laughs) but they're in our head. Right. And so, you know, they could be. They could be the most brilliant thing anybody's ever come up with. Usually they're not. You need somebody else to help you flesh that out. And I think always remembering that is going to be the key. Mm-hmm. Um, but experience is, gonna, is going to kind of teach you those lessons. That's the only real way to figure it out, figure out what works for you, what right. works for others, is to just do it. Yeah, and I think
0: communication is so important. I, like I think with all relationships, I think communication is something that doesn't always happen but like sitting down from the get-go and being like great how are we going to work together what's our sort of business model and and all of that I think often doesn't happen and those aren't the things that you kind of want to discover when you're in the midst of the the center of having to deal with it in a crisis
1: oh yeah for sure yeah it's it's great to set out ground rules and boundaries and there's nothing saying that you have to be best friends with your collaborator no. If you are, great. If you're not, fine. Good. And if
0: you are, I think it's good to separate, you know, like professional and friend time. Mm-hmm. of Like, right, now we're collaborators and we're going to deal with it like that. And then we're going to go out and have drinks or whatnot and
1: be yeah. friends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to have a, a system, whatever that is for you. You have to have a way that that works mm-hmm. um, so that you can get the work done, but still maintain your friendship. And also there's obviously the element of anything that happens in this collaboration stays within the collaboration and right. can't leak into the friendship. If we have like yeah. a major disagreement over the direction of a character, right? It has to be clear that that's going to stay within the collaborative arrangement so that you can still remain right. friends with the person, otherwise, the fallout's going to be much harder
0: right and the thing i always like to say is i think the most important thing is to be on the same page at the start of what the story is that you're trying to tell because then as long as you're unified in that there's a million and one different ways to do it and then the disagreements can almost become more almost fun in a puzzle solving way of like cool how do we best communicate this thing i think the problem comes in when you're both writing like a different show Mm -hmm. and then it feels like you're butting heads about the inherent show that you're trying to write in the first place yeah
1: and there are those those questions that you always need to answer for yourself and as a team is why why am i telling this story why did this you know dr- why was i drawn to this right story in particular this plot element whatever it is this character uh but you have to be able to answer that question um and yes you have to be able to answer that question as a team yeah and and discuss it and, and analyze it and that'll i think help thrust things in a a, a very quick forward motion as Mm -hmm. well Uh, it's a great jumping off point yeah i
0: think you have to start there i've seen a lot of collaborations where it ends there where they've done like multiple readings and they're saying like i feel like we're not solid on what the story is that we're trying to tell and by that point it's two years down the road and that's a problem.
1: Well that was the interesting interesting thing about Lyra when mm-hmm. I came in is because you had already written it. Yeah.
0: Um, well, let's 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 talk about Lyra because as I said, one of the things people ask me a lot about is how a piece is developed. And I've gotten this question from people that are not in the industry at all. I've gotten this question from people who are in the industry, but they're you know, maybe a designer who comes on later and they're not sort of sure. So let's let's talk through how a new piece is developed via Lyra. So for those who don't know Lyra is a musical that we've written together. I wrote the book and lyrics and music to one song and Evan is the composer on the show. And it was it was written I think in in a slightly unusual way although it definitely has happened, but I had the idea for it. I didn't feel like I had the right collaborator for it. And I didn't want to lose the idea, so I went ahead and wrote the libretto. Um, which isn't always how it happens, but I literally wrote the libretto and the libretto is all of the lyrics and all of the words, all of the text and scene work. So I wrote that I full and did a table read of it, um, before there was a composer on board and a table, a table read is, I'm going to really break this down for everybody. A table read is a casual reading of a piece. A lot of times it can happen in your apartment. It can just happen in a rehearsal room, but It's not really open to the public. It's not really open to industry. It's you, if you have any collaborators and some friends or artists who are just reading it out loud. And the whole purpose is just to hear it, talk about it, ask some questions. And in a safe environment, hear either an early draft or a draft that has a lot of new changes. And it's sort of just for you to hear it. Sort of. Yeah, you'd agree? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I had done that. And then I set about trying to find the right composer. And I did something that happens occasionally, which is you audition composers. It's actually how Aaron's and Flaherty got to write ragtime. They were auditioned. They and w- when when it happens frequently, it's, it's always a little different. Usually, what happens is you ask the composer or the writing team or whoever to write like two or three songs on spec. Which on how would you define on spec?
1: The crude way is for free. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's 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 basically an audition. It's, it's yeah. You know and then these songs if you end up getting a job we will obviously use that right. music yeah um yeah, it's it's almost pro bono.
0: Right. It happens a lot in TV. Like, you'll write scripts on spec and yeah. see if somebody wants to use it or not. But then with the understanding that the composer then has the rights to their music and they're free to, if you don't use them, you're, they're free to take it and do what they want with it.
1: So obviously, if I hadn't been chosen to be the composer of Lyra, I could have taken my music and done something with it, but not Ashley's lyrics. Right.
0: Um, and then I could not hire a new composer and be like, hey, I'm choosing you, but this other guy wrote some good stuff. Can you like take that and do it? Like, no, it's 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 a clean cut. You retain rights to whatever you've done. So I had a bunch of different composers um, submit stuff and you you were not on tour at that time, right?
1: I was. You were. I was on American Idiot my first year with them.
0: We had but we had just done Forever Deadward, Twilight at New World Stages, mm-hmm. and you were the... First keyboardist? Second keyboardist. First keyboardist?
1: Uh, it depends on what David's book was. He was the Second keyboard. So, yeah.
0: Because yeah. Martin was playing. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So so you were technically, I think, second keyboardist. And that's how we really met. Yeah. And then I saw Oregon Trail and I was like, you're cool and you write good music. But Oregon Trail was very different. So Lyra is a very, very dark retelling of the Little Mermaid, the original Little Mermaid story set in a Dust Bowl era circus. So the musical vibe is a combination of everything from um, sort of Cirque du Soleil music to, I would say, more contemporary musical theater to lots of different stuff. But Oregon Trail, your show, was very musical theater.
1: Oh, yeah. And intentionally yeah. so. It was, it was a parody slash satire musical, depending yeah. on whose definition you're working with. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it was very intentionally contemporary music. Yeah. theater.
0: So I remember thinking that you were a wonderful writer, but that was the only thing of yours I had heard. So I didn't immediately think of you for Lyra. But we were socializing and you messaged me was like, hey, can I throw my hat in the ring for the show? And I was like, sure, if you want. And so I sent you the script. And then what was your process from there?
1: Well, it was interesting because I also didn't think I was initially the person for that, mm-hmm. for this job on Lyra. And then I was messing around on my piano one day and I just like literally just improving, seeing yeah. what would come out of my fingers for fun.
0: And it was what became the overture, right? It was what yeah. became
1: the overture. I was like, This sounds like what Ashley was describing mm-hmm. to me for Lyra. And that's when I called you and was like, yeah. hey, I know I know we both were like probably not the guy for the job, but I think <laughs> I might be now. Yeah. So let's try it. Yeah. Um and then I can't remember if you chose... No, you didn't choose
0: which songs. No, I I, I sent the full libretto to everyone and I said pick three songs because part of what I was also interested in is what three songs people picked. Not meaning that there was like secret reasoning behind it. Like if you choose this song, you're in. But just, it, it was just... Informative to to me, just every every. It's informative about just who somebody is and who they are as a writer.
1: And I'm trying to remember the first one that I sent you was "Don't Fall," wasn't mm-hmm. it? Um, which it takes place within the circus, yeah. Um, but there's still some action going on. That's the point about the show is we're using the circus to tell the story, as yeah. As well as just like spectacle, on top. yeah, yeah. Um, so I did that one. Um, you did Don't Fall. You I did, did Scream, Scream. And I did Welcome to Real Life. Yeah. Which is the one that I think ended up changing the most since right. first.
0: Well, and the thing that was interesting for me is, honestly, I think every single other composer um, picked almost the same three songs. Every single person picked the I Want song. Um, I think most people picked The Price, which is also pretty standard song in act one. And then I think they differed a little bit on the third one. And you picked what I thought were the three most difficult songs to write because don't fall is in the context of the circus, but it's very ethereal thing. It's just sort of meant to be kind of ethereal and weird and pretty scream is the equivalent of like a poor, unfortunate souls, um, but very dark, very wordy, um, almost, I wouldn't go so far as to say rap, but it's, it's spoken. stuff. It's, it's, and there's a lot of scene work in between. It's just it's a complicated thing to do. And then Welcome to Real Life is the opening of Act Two, which is also supposed to be very different in style to the others. And and Don't Follow is in French. Oh
2: yeah.
0: Which you don't speak French, right? Not even a little. Bit. So I speak French, but I was like, oh my gosh, Evan full-on had to go on like Google Translate mm-hmm. and find out how these words are even pronounced to mm-hmm. even be able to scan this properly. So and what was your process like of writing that?
1: I'm trying to remember what happened with Don't Fall, why that ended up being the first yeah. one, and I honestly can't remember. Yeah, and uh, you recorded
0: it with somebody on tour,
1: yeah, Allison Marooney, who yeah. was my dance captain, and she was a swing on the tour. Um, absolutely brilliant, mm-hmm. brilliant performer. Uh, I had her sing it for me, but I just can't remember what my end was for that song. So it's, I work in a in sort of a, an interesting way, I think, mm-hmm. um, because I don't know that it's the norm. I just go through the lyrics and kind of try to figure out what the melody is going to be usually especially if the lyrics are provided for me first i think that's what happened with don't fall is that the melody just sort of started coming to me as i was reading through all the lyrics i immediately was able to find something for that i was like well i guess this is gonna be my first one because it's already here yeah um scream i think felt like just a fun challenge yeah and then i know i know welcome to real life came out of something that i had been again messing around with on Mm -hmm. the piano Like this sounds like that moment feels. Yeah, Um, and that's why that one ended up getting chosen. So it's usually it's usually just what immediately connects to creativity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, I can do the thing where I just sit down and force myself to write something, but that's far less fun. Yeah, (laughs) far less fun. And usually, usually you don't get the same kind of product. Mm -hmm. Similar to like I was talking about seeing what you love in an audition room, where you can tell usually you don't get, I don't get the same kind of product if I've forced myself to write something as opposed to if it's come to me.
0: Right. Um, Well, and I remember it was really interesting getting the songs back from you because A, I loved them and thought they were great and that you really got what the show was. Um, But Welcome to Real Life didn't feel quite like the center of the target for me. Um, And so I talked to you about it and asked if you would be willing to do some rewrites on it and you were wonderful to talk to you were del- it was a delightful collaboration in that moment and you were like yeah absolutely and you did it and it was great and that was the thing honestly that clinched it for me because um jump sort of for lack of a better phrase jumping into bed with somebody with a show is a big thing it's like entering a relationship and it's sort of the same reason that i it's very rare for me to hire a director to like direct a full show of mine if I haven't like done a reading or something with them first, because you want to know if there's going to be any issues on something lower stakes. So talking about like doing a rewrite on a song and seeing how that goes is a real litmus test for how the rest of the collaboration is going to be. And there were other composers that were auditioning who were really like, nope, what I wrote was brilliant. I'm not touching a note of it. Um, There were some who did some rewrites and it kind of sounded exactly the same, but you were very open to it. And I was like, okay, great. I feel like this is going to be a good working relationship with that and then i called you and i was like this is wonderful i've listened to all the things and you know there were some amazing people but i just feel like this is the right fit and then we went from there and you kind of had all the work at that point because the libretto was done (laughs) it literally was it was literally was here is the libretto go have fun writing an entire score to the show
1: and i did yeah (laughs) uh but this also i mean talking about asking for rewrites comes back to the ego thing that i was talking about of course rewrites are going to be needed and of course there's going to be things that don't gel as far as vision goes mm-hmm. for a piece and it's our jobs as collaborators yeah. to again try mm-hmm. just try something different try to make it fit better Lyra was also a, a little bit of a special case mm-hmm. because you had already i'd written already the written it the yeah book. uh the, sorry the libretto um and so it was a little bit more, even though it wasn't a commission, it felt in that right. film, like I, I yeah. started out trying to really just make your vision mm-hmm. happen. And in some ways I still am because I think your vision is the right vision. Well, thank but, you. Of course.
0: Um, but the flip side of that is, for example, I remember one of our first meetings was the I Want song just lyrically just wasn't working. Mm. And I think you were the one who brought it up and I'm like, okay, cool. And then I went and wrote a new I Want song. So Yeah.
1: Um, well, and then the other yeah. one was... Um, what eventually ended up being called Love is a Game. Yeah, yeah. I remember that one. I, I don't even remember if I wrote to that first set of lyrics. I feel like I did, and we both were like, Yeah, it wasn't no. working. It just wasn't working. Um,
0: and, and, and that's the thing about both people, like, letting their ego go. Because, I mean, yes, it, this was a special case in that it was my baby, and it sort of came for me. But when you're a collaborator with someone, like, it's your collaboration. And you want to listen to them, too. So, yeah, it just wasn't working. And I remember us talking and I think I said something like, is it that you feel like you need to mess with the music more or or are these lyrics just not working for you? And you were like, honestly, I feel like I need some different lyrics. And I'm like, great. So I went back and wrote some new lyrics.
1: Yeah, and I feel like we then had a discussion of what would help me yeah. write the moment that we were going for musically. Right. Which got us, I think, a really great song. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I love those lyrics. Oh, I, yeah. I think it's exactly what we needed. So. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. So then... Evan wrote a score. Like <laughs> <laughs>
1: you
0: do. Yeah. And for me, I, I always say it was kind of like, it was like a weekly, like having Christmas morning where every couple days I'd like wake up and there'd be something in my inbox that I'd get to like listen to the song and it was super fun. And then we'd like talk about it. And so from there we did another table read once it was done. So it was the new draft of the script with the demos that you had recorded.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, and then we sat around and had a big discussion about that, and then went and made some changes based on that. And did we do another table read after that? It was hard because you were also on tour. So we were trying to skip. You Skyped into that one.
1: I Skyped into the second one. The second one, one yeah. yeah. Uh, the second one, I think I might have Skyped into from Miami. Oh. Because that yes. was when I was yeah, directing yeah. for a celebrity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I definitely. And, and after rehearsals, I'd be Yeah, finishing, yeah. Do, putting finishing touches on some changes yeah uh requiem i think got recorded yeah when i was in miami i love requiem Me too. yeah that's a fun one and i can't wait to get an actual oh yeah wire on it it's gonna be good but um
0: we're working on a full demo album that's gonna go out on itunes by the way yeah plug
1: yeah working working hard on that yeah um luckily most of the thing was orchestrated at this point because of yeah. uh, all the readings and presentations that we've done right so that makes life a little bit easier but yeah, so so then I skipped into that one and we discussed mm-hmm. the feedback and, and changes. And...
0: Yeah. That's actually, that's the fun thing about having a collaborator is you have someone to bounce feedback off of like, hey, this person said this thing. How do you feel about it? And you can be like, oh, I don't know. I felt, we- oh, good. I felt weird about that one too. So maybe let's, yeah, or yeah. whatnot. So after table reads, it comes time to do some sort of public presentation of it and um, So for for most people out there that when you really feel like you have a really solid product, that becomes the point when you do a public reading of it. Um, A reading, for those who don't know, is when you literally stand at music stands. And if there's any staging, it's very minimal, just sort of like turning stands or sitting or standing. And you either just have a pianist or you have a small band. And that's when you start inviting the public and you start inviting industry um, and you do a public reading presentation of it. But there's no movement in it which has been a difficult thing with Lyra because circus elements are instrumental to the telling of the story. So you're only getting half of the story if you're just sort of seeing a reading of it. Um, But it's also the time when people start applying to festivals and submitting it to places and things like that. So we started doing all that. But ultimately, we did a sort of a concert presentation at the Triad. Mm -hmm. And we did that over a couple nights. And what was that experience like for you?
1: Oh, it was a ton of fun and a ton of stress. Well, Um, yeah.
0: Well, you were still writing music.
1: Yeah, a few of them. Yeah, Uh,
0: With You was not written until the morning of our first rehearsal, which I was a little annoyed about because I was taking a red eye. I was taking a red eye that night. And I was like, and and that, and I was like, please send me the music before I have to get on this plane. And you're like, yeah, it's not done. I'm like, yeah. Evan.
1: With You was one of those that I really had trouble getting into. Yeah. Once once I got into it, I, I found it. And it wasn't one where I had to sit and force myself to write it. Right. Um, but it just took a long time for something to spark. And I, to this day, can't say why. Yeah. Uh, sometimes those creative juices are just like, nah. Right. I'm, I'm done with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, that... that happened and and then everything still had to be orchestrated right
0: Um, because because that presentation we were doing it with it was a band of five
1: it was let's see it was andrew on on keys who was our music director Mm -hmm. um my friend chris on key two, tom on guitar robin on drums robin on drums marcel on bass yeah
0: so you had and you had to do that you also had to arrange for all the voices because we now had a cast that was singing it yeah
1: and so we added some vocal arrangements into into songs like scream uh, happy ending got Mm -hmm. a a big rework yeah um requiem obviously had to have be tweaked a little bit right but actually there was a lot of now i think about it we've got a lot of vocals going on in the background throughout a lot of this show yeah scream yeah i probably said scream already also scream 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 is a song in the show it's it's called scream
0: did you, you Will Belong To Me didn't have anything though, right? There's no chorus on that.
1: No, uh, yeah. but Welcome To Real Life Oh, right. Guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Majorly.
0: Yeah. Um, and then, you know, it's tricky with musicals as opposed to plays because then you have to teach all the music to everybody and then you have to stage it and there's just all the... And you have to have band rehearsal yeah. on top of it. Can you talk a little bit about A, the orchestrating process, but also about... Keypads, because that's something that I feel like people who aren't musicians don't necessarily know about, and it's a really integral part in contemporary musicals.
1: Oh, yeah, es- especially now um, keyboards are being used to add more sounds into a pit, add more, add the feeling that there are more musicians than there are. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, and ideally for Lyra, I'd yeah. like to still have strings, but then use the keyboard pads mm-hmm. to make this make it sound fuller right um and that that's the big thing is is trying to find ways to get the instruments that you're looking for a clarinet or a Mm -hmm. trumpet that you don't actually have on stage uh still in still find their way into the orchestration right uh the hard thing is it's very difficult to find a realistic sounding horn or program a realistic sounding trumpet yeah or I've come to love The Sound of French Horns, um, if you can find a good one, though. Uh, and I, I think I've got a French horn Ooh. throughout the, the lyric score. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I'm very excited about. And that yeah. might end up being an actual player. But it depends nice. on uh, yeah. who's giving us the money for it.
0: But a lot of times, like, majorly in Broadway pits, you'll have two or... Do you have, sometimes have three keyboards?
1: Mama Mia had four, but that's wow. very specific for ABBA. Yeah, yeah three. It, it, oftentimes three now. So
0: usually what'll happen is... Um, Keyboard one, a lot of times the musical director is also playing keyboard one. And that's like the piano. That's mm. the, what the piano is supposed to sound like. And then keyboard two and keyboard three, a lot of times are programmed with keypads, right?
1: Yeah. Although everybody sort of has a different numbering system. Right. Uh, sometimes the music director is playing keyboard three because that's the book that has the least amount of notes in it. Right. Um, other people do name it keyboard one because it's the music director. It sort of yeah. depends on who's doing it. Um But yeah, as Cinderella, we had three keyboards Mm -hmm. because we were, I think, a nine piece Mm -hmm. coming from Broadway's giant orchestra. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Bill Elliott did a wonderful job finding a way to utilize the keyboards that you never noticed that you were listening to synthesizers. Well,
0: and it's also complicated because when we say pads, I'm assuming it comes from there is literally like a button pad on the ground that your foot hits to like (laughs) go through the different cues, right?
1: You know, I'm not sure where the term pad comes from. Um,
0: but That's what I point... like to think it's
1: from. <laughs> well, at this point, if somebody's talking about a pad on a keyboard, it's usually a, a drone of a sound. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, string pads will just be whole notes usually yeah. or things, things that are not the actual melody line of the instrument. Right. Um, but a patch is a each, patch, different, yeah. each different uh, sound. But
0: you are it's like a computer. It's like you're clicking through oh, yeah. them. Oh, yeah. have, have you ever had an instance where you clicked on the wrong patch oh, and suddenly like a French horn comes on in, in my own little corner?
1: All the time. Um, <laughs> luckily, never in, in my own little corner. But that book was tough because I'd be changing patches sometimes twice in one measure. Um, wow. So it's very, it's easy to double click that patch uh, mm-hmm. pedal. Uh, it happens to the best of us and it's about catching it quickly uh. and not playing until you get back onto the right patch. Oh man. Sometimes you can get away with it like, oh I'm supposed to be on this organ and I'm actually on this organ. Right. Oh no. <laughs> um but sometimes it's really bad. There was a I played a dance production of The Wall, uh Pink Floyd's oh. The Wall back in man, this this must have been right out of college. Um and at this point, I wasn't using Main Stage, which is one of the programs that, that we really use a lot in Broadway Pits. I wasn't using... I was just using the sounds that were in my keyboard. Mm-hmm. And some of the sounds in this keyboard had automation, uh, you know, automated mm-hmm. arpeggios or drum patterns or whatever.
0: Oh, so meaning when you press a key on the piano, it doesn't play that note, it plays whatever was programmed in there?
1: Yeah. Which That's sometimes, great. Which sometimes is suddenly you're listening to a drum beat kick. <laughs> um,
0: oh, goodness.
1: And... If you don't know The Wall, toward the end of it, check out the movie. It's weird. It's amazing. The album is incredible. Listen to the album. But toward the end of it, there's this uh, trial. And it gets very quiet. Very quiet. And he's he's singing about how he's, like, losing his mind, basically. Um, And all of a sudden, you hear from my keyboard, because I was on the wrong patch. (laughs) It was great. It was really (laughs) good. Yeah, somebody caught it on film. It's somewhere on my Facebook page. Don't look for it. Oh, man. Um, But yeah, so it happens. Yeah. Luckily, in Broadway pits, nothing that extreme will ever happen. Really? Well, nobody really puts automated drum patterns into (laughs) keyboard books.
0: We've got to... We, we'll be the first. We'll be the first. We'll and be the we'll, first. We'll, we'll
1: be the first to make it happen. Oh, man. That'll be great. Great. That'll be great.
0: Um, so did you have to design any patches for Lear or did you just do research? Yeah, I did them?
1: a bunch. Um, I had to build a lot of layering, because there are a lot of times that I have... Yeah. I gave Chris a lot of work on that second keyboard. Mm. Um, there were times where he was playing three or four instruments at a time, depending on what measure. Right. So it was about finding figuring out the layers and... The voicings and yeah. any kind of um, triggering, tr- chord triggers. So, like, yeah. if I needed a full string sound, uh, a full chord coming out of the strings, but he only had certain number of fingers available because the other right. side was having him play you could have chord triggers so you'll play a c but it'll sound a c and an e or yeah you know something like that
0: so i think all the performers out there need to sort of understand that the job of a musical director has really changed over the past i'd say even like five years oh definitely even 10 years so the music i think performers tend to think of the musical director as the person there who's teaching you your parts and then is maybe like conducting in the pit but I mean, when you're dealing with a full Broadway show, you have orchestrators and in, a, in like, different jobs, but in essence, the composer or musical director is having to deal with all this stuff at the same time.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. and even even in a Broadway show, as, uh, a music director will also be helping figuring out underscoring or yeah. accompaniments or, you know, depending on the collaboration with the composer. Right. Um, will be, oh, we need this eight measures of transition here. How about from this song, this little pattern? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so it is much more involved than than just yeah. teaching parts and waving your arms around.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, somebody has to write all the vocal parts. Someone has to and arrange all the vocal parts. Someone has to write and arrange and orchestrate everything that the band is doing or orchestra is doing, and teach it to everyone, and make sure they know what they're supposed to be doing. It's it's a it's a big it's a big job.
1: And that's the thing. Uh, once once you get later on in the process. You know when the actors go home the music director goes to band rehearsal right yeah um those days get rough oh yeah they for sure
0: rough. i've uh, been there
1: and that's a big part of why i wanted uh a music director for Lyra. as we were still writing it right and we were still orchestrating it i knew i wouldn't be able to handle yeah. that entire workload myself yeah um so we brought in andrew wheeler to Yay! Uh, to do some uh, great work for us yeah. he has some wonderful ideas and and
0: Madeline, Maddie, sorry, I call her Maddie. Madeline O'Hara was our director, and she did a stellar job. And we had a great cast. Yeah. Um, so we did that, and then just a couple months later, we did a show at Fifty Four Below that was more of a, what we did at, at the Triad was it was the show, but it was like a reading of, of the show. At Fifty Four Below, it was a concert version. So we didn't we didn't do all the songs, right? We just did. Maybe we did
1: ten. We did
0: like a seventy minute version of the show. Um, and we had some different cast members. We had some same cast members. Maddie directed that as well, and Andrew was back for that too, right? Yes. yes. Um, and
1: yeah, I think almost the whole band except for our guitarist and Robin was unavailable. Yeah. He was on vacation right. or something. Yeah.
0: Um, and and the nice thing about doing a concert is we were able, you know, to film stuff at fifty four below and get some clips of some stuff that was great and very helpful. Oh yeah. For sure. Um. That's the tricky thing is when you're pitching a show, the way the world works now, you have to have visuals that you can show potential producers, but because of equity rules, it's often very difficult or full on not allowed to do that. So figuring out legit ways to get the, the material that you need is really important because producers won't look at shows unless there's, you know, a visual to go along with it if they can't come to see it. So that's a tricky thing. And then from there, we started recording like real professional, professional demo. Cause a lot of the stuff that you sent me was, you know, composer demos. It was you at a keyboard with an explanation of like what it's ultimately going to sound like. And that's also something that's interesting because that I think was one of the difficulties with welcome to real life is even when it got more solid, I was not totally sold on it. And that was a moment where you were like, wait to hear it with the band. And I'm like, great. Okay. And then I heard it with the band and I'm like, yeah, I get it. So there are some songs that do really well with just a piano and then there's some songs that you really need like scream and you will belong to me and stuff like they really need the other stuff on them
1: yeah unfortunately with scream i was i think i was able to get us pretty close with yeah. just all of the different keyboard patches oh, for sure the marimba that i have going on there the strings the guitars like all of it yeah um i think i was much more successful in conveying what it would ultimately sound yeah. like than something with welcome to real life which really needed the guitars right. and the feel of the base and all that yeah
0: well that was actually an interesting so the character of mr wednesday who for lack of a better description is sort of the equivalent of the sea witch um that was something really interesting because when i wrote the script i was very aware of all these different characters needing different circus skills um and mr wednesday originally was a very physical character like this is somebody who needed to be an acrobat who needed to be like a serious magician. And so it was like, great. So that's going to be the heavy load on that. So when I wrote the lyrics, it was thinking that it would be more spoken sung as opposed to like a a crazy singer. And Evan came back with some of these demos. I think Scream was the first one. And you were like, hey, so I know that this role isn't really supposed to be for a singer, but I did a thing. (laughs) And it's not that. So just listen to it and let me know what you think. And Evan wrote this brilliant role that's meant to be like a a freaking rock singer like like a tony vincent who hey tony Hi, <laughs> to- <laughs> i love tony tony and his beautiful wife aspen was involved in um the 54 below reading um aspen played um at the name like nymphet 2 is not descriptive of the character but mm-hmm. She's a very important character and she killed her freaking song. But Tony, we've talked to about Mr. Wednesday too. I mean, but it's like, from day one, it was like, this is like a Tony Vincent kind of role. And, I'm, and I heard it and I was like, yeah, this is not what I wrote, but it's phenomenal. So I think maybe Mr. Wednesday is going to need to change a little bit. So now that character has to be an illusionist and be kind of physical and a great actor and a rock singer. So there you go. Yeah.
1: But I, I think all the... Elements of him being an illusionist. Are oh yeah, ta- are easily taught. Oh yeah. I think.
0: Well, um, e- they're taught.
1: They're taught <laughs> um, as easy as Rob McClure learning violin for Chaplin.
0: There you go. Oh gosh, I didn't realize he learned violin on top of everything else for Chaplin. No. Hey, Rob McClure, because you're totally listening to this right now. You're brilliant. Good no job. Professor. We love you. Um, you're really good in Beetlejuice. Um, So we did that at 54 Below, and then we started doing the demos. So we did a bunch... We did, like, four or five really solid professional demos that you can now hear on the radio. They're on Broadway radio. That happened a few weeks ago. That's really exciting. I had a total um, that-thing-you-do moment of, like, turning it on. I'm like, I'm on the radio.
1: I was really bummed I couldn't listen to it because I was... I recorded it for you, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you
0: did. Yeah. So anyway, so from there... Evan went back on tour and then I went into production with a couple of my other shows. But what happened since then is we brought on the incredible Rachel Klein as our director. And she's somebody who knows circus elements and musical theater and quote unquote legit theater things. And then I, this year became the artist in residence of the access theater company. So we've been doing some development of things, getting some things on their feet. Cause the, 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 the thing I think is very difficult about developing any new show, is the way that the professional development process works, it's completely devoid of any physicality. And in a musical, that's very hard. I'm also a writer who, when I write plays, I write very physical pieces. And so you end up with a piece that looks great on paper and it sounds great when you stand at music stands. And then a lot of times you don't get to see what it is until you're in production and you've had all this time to workshop all the words, and you've had no time at all to workshop any of the physicality. And suddenly you're like, oh shoot, there's a lot of stuff that needs to change. And we don't have time now because we're in production. So we've been utilizing the residency to develop things on their feet. And we've been working with the incredible Joel Jeske and Shireen Hickman, who are both stars with Cirque du Soleil and Clowns on the clowning in the show and figuring out what that is and how that works with the scenes and, and all that. And just some of the other physicality and movement in it and we're going to be doing some aerial work in the coming weeks and yeah and figuring out what that is so that we can then there you know we've then gone and pitched to producers and we're still pitching to producers and we then have a very solid thing to be like for those of you who don't know what clowning and physical comedy is or aerial acrobatics like this is what it is and this is what the show is meant to be so from there, you just start sending materials to producers. You keep doing developmental things until you get either a grant or you get a producer or you get a space and then you do some sort of workshop or uh, beginning stages of a production where you can try stuff out. And then you kind of just keep going from there. But the development process of a show is really, it's tricky. Yeah. And then people like like Lin-Manuel Miranda is at the point where he can let, you know go to the public and be like, I have a new show, do it. And they're like, great. <laughs> um, which that's can yeah which which I mean can be great because you know when you're at that level you, you you sort of know what you have and then you can you know how to sort of safely develop it it can also be not a great thing like sorry to call out shows but um, the new David Mamet play Bitter Wheat that's based on the Harvey Weinstein oh. incident um went like straight into production. I don't really know all the details about development, but my understanding is it was kind of written and then like went straight into production with the idea that it was going to Broadway. And it has not been super successful and maybe could benefit from some more development or whatnot. So there's pluses and minuses to both. I, I feel like a lot of times there's can be too much development. There can also be not enough development, but it's about getting the best piece that you possibly can and then getting it in the right hands of somebody to do it. Because once you're in a production, there's not time.
1: To bring it back around, once you have a director and a music director and producers, they are now your collaborators as well. So you could have this incredible collaboration with your writing partner. Once you bring those other people on board, you have to remember the collaborators agreement that it's not about ego, The other people have ideas, it applies to the director as well. And in many ways, it's much more their show at that point Mm -hmm. than it is yours. Uh, especially once there's money behind it and you're in production right it's about it becomes about the director's vision which means that as writers at least uh, we, we've talked about this yeah so yeah you have to you have to have a conversation with the director before rehearsals mm-hmm. about what you want what your goals are what the piece means to you what each moment each important moment or any any fight that you would have had in the rehearsal room yeah why you would be having that fight so that you don't have to so that it's a part of the director's vision or the director can tell you well i'm thinking about it more this way and this is why so that you do have that healthy collaboration yeah with the people who weren't necessarily there from the beginning
0: honestly the biggest disasters i've ever had with directors are either directors who will not get together and meet before rehearsals start or what you talked about and the concept they pitch to you first rehearsal happens and they've thrown it out the window and done something completely different because that that's also them not being a collaborator, not being on the same page. But it's like I said in my previous podcast, when you enter into a collaboration with anyone, whether it's something as intimate as we are writing something together or bringing on people later, it's entering into a relationship and you should not be doing that lightly. And you're theoretically going to be with these people for a very long time. So, like, let's say Lyra goes to Broadway and then tours and does all that stuff. Well, now I have a permanent relationship with Evan and I have a permanent relationship with Rachel. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that there are lovely people who I love spending time with and working with. But, you know, that's a best case scenario. These are people you're gonna have to be making decisions with about your show for years and decades. So, do not enter into any of those relationships lightly. And also, if you're just starting out, don't let the excitement of somebody being interested in your work overshadow doing the work you need to to make sure they're the right person. Because, yeah, I mean, sometimes if a major director comes on board and you're like, yes, yes, they're going to do it, that's great. They may not be the best person for you. Mm-hmm. And it can be very difficult to say no to that, but you're going to have to be dealing with the fallout for a long time.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I've ended up, and I'm sure you have as yeah. well, in, in some rough collaborations. Mm-hmm. Um but again it it always i think it always comes back to eco Mm -hmm. it always comes back to being able to listen to your writing partner and see the validity in their point of view uh to try things and and then to be able to intelligently and unemotionally uh explain right. or communicate why something isn't working right uh but it has to be a conversation absolutely it can't be either this just doesn't work i hate it it's terrible yeah or <laughs> oh, no it's right you're yeah. wrong we're keeping it in and i don't care what you have to say right either way it's not gonna work at
0: yeah all. and along those lines when you're thinking about yourself as a collaborator be respectful to the work and what's being done. If there's something you don't agree with, great. Like, let's have a conversation about that. But I've also been in the room where directors have staged something that absolutely 100% negates what is actually in the script. Now, if there is an issue with the script, great. Let's talk about that. But this wasn't that this was like I've, I've literally had directors say like, oh, I didn't read that or I haven't read that scene or I didn't read the script all the way through. Or, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to do this thing. And it's like, great. But if you do that thing, the whole point of this show that like, doesn't happen because it contradicts major things. So like, let's talk about it. So yeah, it's just, it's be prepared. And then, you know, leave your ego at the door and try, try it, try anything once. And you can always go back.
1: And yeah, exactly. You yeah. can always write a song or write a scene and say, oh no, that yeah. was not the right direction to go in, but right. you're not going to know until you try it. Right. And if you don't try it then there will be that resentment of, well, I I had the fix and you wouldn't do it. Right.
0: And I mean, again, within reason. I mean, if you're doing Hamlet and the director comes in and is like, I want everyone to be a fish. Obviously. And it's going to be on Mars. You know, that I think warrants, that warrants a little sit down before you're like, great, let's try it. Why? I don't
1: see the problem. Yeah.
0: uh, Well, okay.
1: That'll be our next (laughs) musical.
0: Fish Hamlet on Mars.
1: Perfect. Yes.
0: Great. Um, And so now we're working on a new show Mm -hmm. together. Which is very different from Lyra.
1: Oh, yes. It's
0: 180 degrees different from Lyra. Although We're... not totally in theme. Not totally in theme. In style. Theme.
1: Yeah, because whereas Lyra is sort of this big show with a, a what I'm hoping will be a brilliant orchestra. Yeah. Uh, this one's very small.
0: Yeah, it's very small.
1: As in a piano.
0: Uh, no, as in a keyboard.
1: Yeah. Uh, You're yeah. still
0: going to have to program patches for it, though.
1: Yeah, but... I'm not going to have to like fully orchestrate anything, which I'm very excited about. We should about.
0: have a, you're here, you're here in collaboration in action, folks. We should have a moment where a patch deliberately goes wrong. Oh. Like deliberately goes horribly wrong.
1: For sure. It's a, it's Done. a, it's a comedy. Done. FYI.
0: Yeah. Wait, it is? Yeah. I was going to spring that on you later. Oh, okay. Yeah. Great. Um, but I don't know. I feel like Evan and I, we worked, we worked together well. We know how each other work and we're writing this one a little bit differently too. I mean, we, this is based on an idea that I've had honestly since college and Evan really liked it and we did talk about it and then we were like, great, so I'm going to go and do this and you're going to go do that. I write really fast.
1: I don't always.
0: Yeah. I'm, but I'm like, I'm like insanely fast. So it kind of turned into me writing the libretto again and handing it to you
1: which works for us great
0: yeah that it works. does yeah so i guess that answers the question of does the music or lyrics come first
1: yeah for us for
0: it's... us it's the lyrics yeah. yeah and then
1: for me when i'm doing music and lyrics it depends on the song
0: yeah and I've, I've worked with um like my collaborator for my twilight parody my personal collaborator there were a lot of composers that contributed to that um, score he preferred to do music first so i wrote lyrics mm. second to that um, I think you've got to be able to do both. Oh
1: yeah. Yeah. For sure. Because it's not always going to come right to you as, as right. I can, you know, attest. Um, yeah. But yeah, so you, you have to be, be open to, okay, I can't come up with lyrics right now. I'm just gonna, it's different when you're doing both, but I'm right, just right. going to sit at a piano and, and play around and, oh, that sounds like a really good theme and melody. And now I yeah. can put lyrics to that. Or I'm sure I could come to you and be like, Hey, I have this melody. Yeah, of course. I want to write some lyrics to totally. it. Totally. You know yeah
0: um, and I think this one will be easier because Lyra I mean Lyra was literally creating a world from scratch and that included a, a, a completely original sound too that combined a lot of different things. This is deliberately referencing and sending up a specific style of thing yes. so there's more there's more to reference and there's more to pull from as opposed to here's some general influences but create a new sound. By yourself
1: well and i think fun. that that was the real struggle yeah with Lyra, or the challenge rather. right that was the challenge with Lyra for me was finding a way to create the, the world and the mm-hmm. sound without it being too alienating yeah because there are some moments that are, are challenging mm-hmm. to the ear i think um not in the way where you're like Oh, that's I don't. That hurts. That hurts me. No, nothing. Nothing done. hurts you. Like, that's been done before. Right? Yeah. Where, where like, I can't remember now. There was this famous opera like centuries yeah, ago yeah. where they debuted it and people rioted in the streets because yeah. it just drove them nuts. Yeah. It's yeah, not that sort of thing. Um,
0: we should write that thing. Great. Let's do
1: it. Let's cause riots. Riots right? in the streets. The new show. <laughs> the new show by after, Griffin after, and Newman. What is it? Fish on Mars. Fish on
0: Fish Hamlet on, Fish Mars. Hamlet on Mars, and that was after something else too. Yeah.
1: Oh, we got a lot in the pipeline. Yeah, but um, but that was that was the the interesting challenge was finding a way to create this new sound and bring in the rock influences that I wanted to. And right. I brought in some prog rock there. Yeah,
0: which I, was new, which was not something I'd thought of. And then you did it, and I was like, "Yeah, this is great."
1: But the, the challenge was making sure that the that it stayed accessible, and not for nothing that there was still a tune you could hum.
0: Right. So here's a question for you, because um, I I compose too, and I've studied composition, and I feel like Composition can be really tricky because there's obviously so much technique behind it and there's so many rules. I mean, my my final in my college composition level theory class was we came in, sat at desks, we were given a sheet of sheet music, we had no keyboard, and we had to write like a 32-bar melody, arrange it for four-part choral parts, and then at the end of our half hour, the the teacher would play it for the whole class and if it sounded okay we passed and if it didn't we failed um and it that sounds miserable oh it was it was terrifying yeah. and um but it was all following the rules because you know and, and again there's there's a, a thing about you know really good composers shouldn't need a keyboard and stephen sondheim always challenges himself not to compose at a keyboard But there's rules behind it. You know, when I was doing that and arranging for the four part choral harmony, I was following the rules of arranging for four part choral harmony. I wasn't trying to do anything revolutionary. So for you, how do you balance, I I guess, what was your musical training like? And then how do you balance the rules and technique with the I don't want to say artistry because there is artistry and rules and technique, but with the experimentation and the storytelling and creating something new?
1: i think i probably work less academically than some not again not saying that there's not artistry in in the rules um but you know when i when i was learning piano i was eight years old Mm -hmm. my teacher very strongly believed that he was going to teach me classical but also teach me something that i wanted to work on at the same time so every every week we would do something that I was really excited about Mm -hmm. and then we would do the technique stuff in the classical. That's great. And I think that's actually really helped one, keep my interest Mm -hmm. in it. Uh, I think that really helped me stick with piano. Uh, but it also helped me find a way to merge the different musical worlds that I have somehow ended up living in. Yeah. Um, when it comes to the rules and the math and all that, usually What'll end up happening is I'll try something. I go that doesn't really work, and then I'll think, well, why doesn't that work? Mm-hmm. And then I'll think about what standards are being broken and which ones need to be brought back in, which can mm-hmm. remain broken. Um, same thing. This this is, this has happened sometimes. Where I'm like, I don't want to go to that chord. That's that's predictable. Everybody mm-hmm. goes to that chord, so I'm gonna do this instead. Yeah. And sometimes it works, and sometimes you just have to find the right the right match. Um, yeah. In that way, it's a lot of math for for lack of a better mm-hmm. word um, but yeah I, I don't think I would necessarily enjoy writing away from the piano yeah though I agree it's a good challenge and, yeah. a, and a good skill to have
0: and for someone who wants to be a composer or a musical director or whatnot what would you what suggestions would you have for them in terms of training in terms of path like how does somebody learn about patches and programming that and learn about you know using finale and like, I guess, what, what would your advice be to somebody who wants to do what you're doing?
1: Well, one, listen to as much as you can. Uh, listen to as much as you can. If you play an instrument, learn as much as you can. If you don't play an instrument, learn one. It helps mm-hmm. immensely. Um, as far as patches and finale... Uh, or just is,
0: becoming a musical director, too. Like, how does one break into that? It
1: was sort of trial by fire for me. Yeah. Um, because I was in college, there was a, a student production of Floyd Collins that needed a music director. One of my teachers went, Evan's a good musician, he plays piano, he's the guy, here. Yeah, And, so that and you started with time. Floyd Collins. That was the first show I ever music Trial directed. by fire. Um, it wasn't something that I ever thought I would want to do, and I loved it. But the first show I conducted was a few weeks before that. Mm-hmm. I got a so as part of our music theory class, they taught us the basic conducting patterns, mm-hmm. and I got a call from a friend because there was a student production of Company who had lost. <laughs> yeah, their you're certain with all the easy ones. Yeah, what? <laughs> uh, they had lost their conductor. Uh, you're gonna finish your career with like, <laughs> the I don't know. Show on the planet.
0: I know. What would that be? Silence.
1: I have no idea. I don't I couldn't know. Even say.
0: Um, With like a children's version of Snow White. <laughs> but the easy piano. The version. easy piano version.
1: Um, yeah. Uh, so I knew all those conducting patterns. My friend JC called me um, at two weeks before the show was supposed to open. And she goes, we lost our conductor. I know you know music. I know you know the basic patterns. Can you conduct the show? And I sort of, that in that ex- in instance, I learned a lot from the musicians that I was conducting. I explained to them the situation. I said, listen, if there's anything that I can do to make this clearer for you or to mm-hmm. make your lives run more smoothly tell me and they taught me a lot uh-huh. uh, that's a big part of it too talk to musicians talk to the people that you're going to be leading yeah um and see what they need in that way that's also a collaboration yeah well, you can't see me but I'm doing an awkward dance <laughs> it's um, a cute dance I no like thank you. you um that's and, my brand awkward and, and, and nice and cute
0: and learning patches and stuff how would somebody go about doing that
1: I would say just experiment. Get one yeah. of the programs, MainStage, or um, uh, people using Ableton a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with Ableton at all. Uh, I should be because yeah. a lot of a lot of people are using it. But but get MainStage yeah. or even GarageBand has some internal stuff, yeah. um, and just start playing and tweaking and see which settings. Feel better. Use the internet. The internet's a great yeah. resource. And there are Facebook groups. Facebook has an Apple main stage mm-hmm. group that has a whole bunch of different tips yeah. um, that I usually refer to mm-hmm. just to see, to learn new skills or new tricks. Yeah. Um,
0: I just realized there's also New York accompanist connection on Facebook. That's oh, yes. amazing that if you want to like get into this, just write, I mean, there's like Broadway conductors that are on there and just write and be like, hey, I really want to do this someday. Can I like intern for somebody? I bet everyone would snatch you up.
1: I ended up assisting for Andrew Lippa for a couple of years when mm-hmm. I was in college. Uh, Will Van Dyke, who is really doing well for himself. He was on Kinky Boots. He, uh, I believe, orchestrated and supervised uh, Pretty Woman. He's nice. going to be doing the off-Broadway production of Little Shop. Mm-hmm. Um, he was Andrew's assistant before he was leaving for the Wicked Tour. Mm-hmm. And he saw Floyd Collins mm. and got me an interview with Andrew. And so I worked with Andrew for a while. Nice. Worked with, with, on finale files with him. Um, yeah. And I learned a lot from him in, in a similar way. I was a uh, music PA slash intern on Negally Blonde for James mm-hmm. Hamliner, uh and Jason DeBoard. I worked with Alex Lockmore on High Fidelity. And, and I just, I learned from all those people. You're right. That's yeah. a really great way to go about it. Reach out to people. We had someone email us yeah, about, yeah. a few months ago.
0: Who? Uh, yeah, who wanted to, Who? she wanted to be a musical director or con- a composer?
1: Well, she's working on... Ga- Gabby character. yeah
0: yeah she yeah. was cr- and she just messaged us and we're like hey you want to come help out with Lyra and she's brilliant she was great and extremely helpful and I'm sure we'll be calling her again oh,
1: absolutely yeah um and she's a student still yeah. a- over at a Mary-Math. Mary-Math, yeah uh and it's just it's a great way to reach out even if it's it's people like us who, ha- who yeah. are still working on a show that we're trying to get produced yeah.
0: the worst somebody will say is no and usually I found that people don't say no yeah yeah
1: yeah and it's 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 really helpful to just be around other people doing yeah. the thing that you want to do you'll pick yeah. up little tricks and that's probably in any industry right um
0: and then the flip side is there's some composers who don't read sheet music and they sing things into a tape recorder and ask other people to do it which i don't really recommend unless you don't really have any other option but yeah, yeah. are there any programs that you would recommend people go to like if like college programs or i mean there's bmi
2: mm-hmm. um if you're
1: talking about that's not that's not to
0: learn how to do it though
1: if you're talking well, about sort penn state has a wonderful program mm-hmm. uh, that i would absolutely can look into if my life had panned out differently i would have applied there yeah um and maybe i will still will i'm sure there's a lot that i still have left to learn i'm not sure i know i know there's a yeah. lot that i still have left to learn but they have a wonderful program for music direction um, that's the one that i would always refer people to yeah but there are a lot of, there are a lot of conservatories out there that you can check out yeah uh, and it's not just about learning theater right you you want to learn all of all of music yeah. how to lead a jazz band how to, yeah, how to yeah. play for an opera yeah all of it is useful yeah.
0: and study other things I mean you're still a performer and you went to NYU for performing and yeah you just finished a big job as a performer so do do all the things
1: absolutely the the, the key is stay creative yeah uh, it's it's very easy to get burnt out yeah that's the other thing I try I don't always succeed but I try to make sure that I have time away from the piano away from mm-hmm. the show I'm writing so that I can just be a person right um, and that's gonna be a, a really uh, good way to reset your brain uh, especially if you can't you're you're writing and you're stuck on a on a lyric or stuck on a chord progression or an accompaniment take some time away from it come back to it in an hour or two or tomorrow and it'll probably yeah. be there for you
0: yeah. Um, so where can people find you if they want to stalk you online?
1: Oh, well, they can find me at evanjnewman.com. And at...
0: J-J-A-Y, not just the letter.
1: Very important. Funny story. <laughs> um, so the J exists. It is my middle name. It's my it middle, exists. middle name. But when I joined Equity as a child, there were there was already another Evan Newman in the industry.
0: Are they still in the industry or could you change it? I'm
1: sure he still is. Even if he wasn't, it's part of my identity now. Okay. Like, whenever I see people write out my name without the middle name, oh, okay. it's weird. I don't introduce myself that way because that feels weird. Right. But if I see, like, on a name tag without oh, the middle okay. name, but it's got the last name, Yeah. I get really uncomfortable. Because Sarah
0: Ford's the me. opposite. She's in equity as Sarah Jean Ford, and she's desperate trying, desperately trying to get rid of the gene. Oh, interesting. Yeah.
1: Is, is that a struggle?
0: Oh, yeah. No, she's it's th I swear this should be a play of her trying to track down Sarah Ford,
2: because
0: I think I don't know all the details, but Sarah Ford, if you're out there, we put this broadcast out when I interviewed Sarah. Um, but Sarah Ford, if you're out there, please contact either me or Sarah Jean Ford. Um, but no, we think that she's somebody actually in the UK who's both British and American equity or something like that.
1: Wait, that sounds right.
0: You know this person?
1: <laughs> I think I might know people who know this person. Let me let me make some calls. Okay, let's let let's do this. Calls. Okay. Yeah. Um, um, but, but so yeah, it's Evan, Evan, evanjnewman.com. That's E-V-A-N-J-A-Y-N-E-W-M-A-N.
0: And you can also stock our show Lyra at lyrathemusical.com. Lyra, L-Y-R-A-T-H-E musical.com. Um, um, and we're um, on Broadway Radio, too. That's
1: right. And I'm yeah. on uh, Instagram, uh, though I rarely post, and Twitter, though I you're there on you're on posts. instagram a decent amount sometimes depends yeah. on that usually now it's just announcing something i'm working on I've i mean what else is social media photos. for yeah yeah uh, but it's it's always Evan J newman with the, with the middle name that's yeah. i tried to keep it as simple as i could
0: yeah and yeah. i guess the next thing coming up for us i mean we're in development with Lyra, but we're going to be doing our first reading of our new musical at the end of the month
1: uh, the end of next, next
0: month. Next month. Wow, it's not July yet. Not yet. We're doing it at the end of mid to end of July. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely um, that'll, be, that'll definitely be fun. It is a comedy. Yeah. It's funny. I, people, people either know me as like a comedy writer, like the people who know my Twilight parody and things like that, and then the people who know me as this like really intense dramatic person for like Trial and Snow and Hamlet. Oh, yeah. And people don't get that – both ashleys are like the same person so it's been a while since i've done a comedy so it'll be that'll be fun
1: nice throw a little wrench in the works for everybody you know they'll be like wait she's doing what now yeah but i
0: don't know i feel like i feel like not all dramatic artists can do comedy but all really good comedians can do drama because it's it's the same thing it's just what's your intention what's your action and comedy just adds the element of timing that's true with it so well
1: that's why checkoff gets so confusing
0: i know for those of you who don't know, I love this. Chekhov had major issues with Stanislavski because Chekhov insisted that his plays were major uproarious comedies. And Stanislavski was like, no, they're not. And Chekhov like hated the way that they were directed. Yeah. I would love to see a really comic production of like The Three Sisters. Oh, yeah. Me we're too. going to Moscow. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> let's
1: do it. Let's mount it. Great. It
0: right after Fish Hamlet on Mars. Great. Wait,
1: there was yeah. another one after that.
0: There, there were like twelve that we listed got on a lot here. Of projects to do. All of them.
1: Let's go. Let's so, go, uh, so if you
0: want to see Fish Hamlet on Mars, please leave a comment or <laughs> or like. <laughs> we'll have to get working on that. Oh man. Um, yeah. Yeah. And if you have any questions for me or Evan, or want to work on something, let us know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm always happy to chat or email back or you know.
0: Be careful about that cut to get to somebody messaging you and you're like all
1: these emails i don't want to talk to this person no i've got got nothing to do other than write shows right now great and you
0: did that pointing to me so writing shows with me right now yes great
1: that's it that's that's what i got going on
0: um to close out do you have a really good funny story about either as a performer or an md or somebody like something going horribly hilariously wrong that's funny now
1: you mean more than the techno uh <laughs> yeah
0: more than more than the techno I a you have a, you have a good don't you have a good um gavroche story
1: uh there was the time when uh there's that line at, toward the end when they're talking about who's going to go over the barricade right to retrieve the bullets because they're out of bullets yeah uh and they're arguing they're arguing and gavroche goes you need somebody quick or oh, i'll volunteer yeah uh there was one time where i don't know what happened i climbed up there oh, i man. turned around and i didn't say words <laughs> I just, I turned around, the spotlight hit me, the, the music cued me, and I went, a Volunteer! Uh, I don't know. I don't know. So that's a thing that happened. Yeah. Is that a funny story? That's a great story. Is it funny or humiliating? It's, um,
0: I love Seth Rydetsky stories about things going wrong in the pit. Oh, yeah. Like his yeah, Phantom story is great.
1: That, that's one of my favorites. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I'm trying to remember going in the pit. I think I'm always so panicked in the pit that. Oh no. That's not true. I'm not panicked. No,
0: you were you were pretty panicked. I remember the very first time you went on for Cinderella because you didn't have much. Oh, the first rehearsal time, I was time for Cinderella. Or, oh, or the first time you played second keyboard or something. Like there was something that went wrong with a patch or because you you didn't have much rehearsal time. You like went out there and replaced someone.
1: Oh, that was Mamma Mia. Oh, Mamma Mia, uh, yeah. Mamma Mia, I was a last minute replacement. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah, guys, that's the other thing is Broadway and tour musicians like. They don't get rehearsal. They're like given a book and then they sit in the pit and their first time playing it is during the show. Yeah, so. especially if
1: you're subbing in when you when you're at the beginning of the show, it's different. You're, yeah. you're there for band rehearsals and the orchestrator is right. changing the charts and you get new charts every day.
0: So get really good at sight playing. Yes. that's my recommendation.
1: Mama Mia, I they gave me the book in advance, but I didn't get to play. Excuse me, with the with the pit in advance, uh, because they were coming off a layoff. I was coming off another job. Yeah. Um, so I went out there the day of the show. The music director Kevin Casey walked me through the patches, mm-hmm. um, and then I played the show that night. Yep. And that was a thing that happened. Yeah. And it's stressful. So yeah. there, there's somebody who described uh, subbing in a pit as a three-hour panic attack. Yeah. And that's basically true.
0: It's not as bad though. The show will remain nameless, but there are. Several Broadway shows that use click tracks to sweeten the vocals. So, mm-hmm. like, the ensemble singing is pre recorded. Um, I was at a show once where the click track got off sync no less than three times oh. in the show. So, the principals were like singing to what the orchestra was playing. But then everything that you heard from the ensemble was like a good measure and a half. Like it wasn't even on the beat. It was like a good measure and a half oh. off. And it happened three separate times during the same show.
1: That's terrifying.
0: And that's a patch, right? That's somebody pushing the thing.
1: Uh, yeah, but it's, it's either a button that connects to QLab or right. sometimes it's the drummer triggering it. Sometimes it's the yeah. music director. Uh, and the
0: poor ensemble members were like, do we sing with what we're hearing or what we're supposed to be doing?
1: But it's not always uh, user error. Sometimes it's just yeah. the program glitches out for a second. Right. Um, and you honestly have two, two choices if you catch it. Yeah. You stop the click yeah. or you find a way to, to adjust. Usually the answer is stop the click. Unless yeah. it's at the very top of the show. Which <laughs> happened once during Cinderella. Oh no. The, um, the click track, we, we didn't have anything sweetened. Oh, no, the prologue was sweetened because they were too busy getting ready for the rest of the show. Right, right. Um, but the click track misfired. Oh, no. Um, wait, this
0: so. was at the top of Act One?
1: Top of Act One. Uh, so, wait,
0: why is anybody still getting ready for the show? They should be yeah, good I, to I'm go. I'm trying to
1: remember what the reasoning was behind sweetening it. Yeah. Maybe it was just because they wanted the ensemble to sound bigger than it yeah. was. I honestly... Yeah, if you're still getting
0: out. ready for the show when the orchestra's yeah, playing, you're in, in trouble. Yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> But yeah, so the quick track misfired. It, like, fired a beat or two late. Um, What's
0: the opening song in the new version? It's just
1: an overture. Uh, oh, oh, the prologue. I.
0: So they're just singing, like, Oz or something?
1: Yeah, and then Cinderella is singing something. Oh, The Suite of Sounds. It's, yeah, something. Yeah. I don't know. I already forgot. But, <laughs> But yeah. Evan's so,
0: really good at his job.
1: So half the band was on one, um, one beat, and the other half was on another beat. Oh, gosh. And... The question was, do we stop? Right. Do we wait for the people who are wrong to figure it out? Yeah. In that case, the sampled vocals, I think, saved us a lot because we're like, oh, this is where the recording is, so that's the that's the beat that we're on. Great, um, yeah. We had a pit member shout out one, two, three, four, which one? Never shout from a pit. The audience can hear you. Right. But also, that was also an emergency. And, but that person wasn't the conductor, right. and that person oh. was wrong.
0: Oh, Oh no!
1: Yeah, no. it was it was it was bad. That's not good. It was bad. That's really bad. Um, yeah, it
0: yeah. Was
1: rough. But that was that was the biggest near train wreck I've ever experienced. But it wasn't it wasn't a train wreck. That's um,
0: That'll be our, our next next show. Train wreck. Train wreck. The musical.
1: Yeah, that that doesn't sound like it's it's a budget eater. <laughs> yeah, that's fine.
0: No, it'll be after the train wreck, so there'll just be like slots of wood on stage. Oh, that sounds
1: like a fun set to build, actually. <laughs> I just, like, throw throw trash and glass everywhere. It's great.
0: Equity will be really happy with that.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it'll be that sugar glass that doesn't actually, like, isn't sharp. It's like yeah. when they, That's when they really the That's really expensive, Evan. Somewhere. Yeah?
0: I, I swear it would but, be cheaper to go get real glass and <laughs> put it around a set than get sugar glass. <laughs>
1: I have to replace it every day. Oh,
2: gosh, yeah. Yeah.
1: But, um, yeah, yeah I'm trying to... Cinderella I conducted with little rehearsal because yeah. there was an emergency and... Yeah. The, the conductor had to fly home. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I had a day off. And he and I had started going through the book yeah. a little bit. But mostly, it was a fly by the seat of your pants kind of deal. Yeah, uh, that, was, that was something. Yeah. But everybody was really supportive. We had fun. It's, uh, that was another situation where it was extremely stressful. But yeah. I had a pit that knew their stuff. I had a percussionist mm-hmm. who had a great sense of tempo. I mean,
0: musicians are great. Oh, yeah. They're really good. I mean, it's, it's fascinating as a perf- I remember the first time as a performer that I walked in and just saw this whole room people sight playing everything and I'm like if you if you asked a room like a, an ensemble of people like just go on stage and sight sing this score <laughs> like that I mean there are, there are singers that are incredible at sight singing but like that wouldn't happen but musicians do it every day
1: yeah well and that that's the thing that I would recommend to any actor or music director honestly is never forget how hard the band is working and yeah. how much skill
0: everyone on takes. a show
1: yeah yeah, everyone. Everyone behind the scenes. Like, right. yeah, we we see what the actors are doing, and we know that's difficult, and we know that takes skill, and we know it took training. But it's really easy to forget about the musicians. It's why I never yeah. understand people leaving during the bows, or, or yeah, worse, yeah. during even though it's called exit music during the exit music. I'm right. gonna stay and listen to the band because they're still working hard. Yeah, sound is still working hard. Yeah,
0: I mean the cool thing about being in a collaboration is. If every person is really responsible for their individual piece as well as they possibly can be, it's miraculous. But it's when you start thinking that your piece is the only part that's important Mm -hmm. or that you're the hardest worker, like everyone's working real hard. I think just sometimes the actors, it's like you're the one that's physically out there to be like visually judged, whereas like theoretically, maybe the band's like hiding in a pit. So they're not going to like know what the person looks like who messed up like that guitar riff, but everybody's working real hard. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And musicians don't get to leave the stage and have a break. They play through the whole show.
0: And be nice to them because sometimes they have inside jokes in the pit while the show's going on that you don't want to know about.
1: You can't see me, but I'm cheekily nodding.
0: Oh, yeah. Yep. And with that, I could talk about this stuff all day. But thank you so much for being on this podcast. Absolutely.
1: This was a lot of fun.
0: And I'm very excited to get the music to the first song for a new piece tonight hopefully tonight yeah yeah which now it's now it's public so it means that you have to send it tonight that's true yeah Yeah.
1: i'm gonna start getting emails about that what (laughs) happened to this piece Ashley (laughs) said on her last podcast you still haven't given her anything
0: yep (laughs) yeah yeah remember what i say in my podcast about collaboration is like be on time or early
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah Yeah. he also has to decide which of the songs he's gonna start with so
1: true yeah that is a true fact.
0: I, I might lean into the mermaid number. That is a real thing. The mermaid number is a real thing.
1: So lean into one of the harder ones. Cool. Let's Wait, do. that's a harder one? I don't know. It I has think more than one person. So I think, it's harder than the one person. Hey,
0: one. I think end of, act, end of act one is. That's going to be a beast. That's going to be insane. That's going to be an absolute beast. That's going to be really insane. No. Especially because. You guys are not. We're just. We're just chatting. Like you're not there. I'm sorry. But because the number of people that are on stage are not the number of people that are supposed to be in the number. True. So
1: it's gonna be fun when it's done and a headache while it's being written.
0: Yeah. And someday when the cast album comes out, the bonus track will be that song with all the people that are supposed to be on stage. I like it. And we'll get Patrick Page to sing. (laughs) Hey, Patrick. We're big fans. And Evan. Evan worked with Patrick. You worked with Patrick. The first national tour of Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, And that's where he met his wife.
0: So really, it's all because of Evan. That's
1: true. I made it happen.
0: Broadway matchmaker. <laughs> that's what you're going to get all the emails about.
1: <laughs> Wait, did you really set them up? No. <laughs> no. But yes. How old were you? Like
0: 12? Nine. 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 There you go. Yeah.
1: And that was a whole lifetime ago.
0: That was a few years ago. Now I'm sad. You're still the same height. Sorry, I had to bring it back full circle. I had to bring it back full circle.
1: Oh. Evan
0: is not that short. I'm pretty sure. No, he's not. I mean, he's, he's, again, you're not six feet.
1: No. And I'm also not five feet. No. I'm in between.
0: You're fine. Yeah. You're fine. It's fine. It's great. I
1: mean, yeah. that's what I wanted.
0: You're shorter than I am.
1: Yeah, I think that's true.
0: Yeah. How tall are you? Oh wait, you probably don't want to say that. I keep forgetting we're like public with this. We just nah, keep talking. I'm 5'6". It's fine. Yeah, I'm taller than you.
1: Technically five five and three quarters, but I round up.
0: <laughs> now everyone's gonna know if you're lying on your resume. <laughs> but it means you can play the high school. Ki- I can't play the high school kids. No,
1: I meant I could play Frankie Valley.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm five nine without heels. So, yep.
1: Yeah, I am shorter than you.
0: Yeah, but yeah. but it's also meant my whole life that they're like you're tall to you're too tall to play high school because you're taller than the person playing your mom
1: which have you seen some of those high school kids these days i know
0: i know well it's about it's about height proportion on stage it's not about actual height which side note my play snow because i was in it everyone was cast around me it was the it was the tallest company i'd ever been with and it was delightful it was wonderful i like
1: it
0: yeah the woman who played my mom was my height but i was in bare feet and she was in heels so i was the shortest person to cast
1: yay that'll do it
0: anyways on that note go stalk evan i'm sure he will greatly appreciate it i
1: will it'll make me feel loved.
0: yeah and go stalk um our show Lyra. and thank you again so much to li- for listening to this podcast and i'm ashley griffin your theatrical hermione granger and you can find me at ashleygriffinofficial.com and on all forms of social media thanks so much for listening